This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello and welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast, episode number 11. I am your host, Bette Lucas. And today, to start out season two, we really have a special episode in store. We are bringing back our guest, Jen Stevens, from episode number one. Jen Stevens is really considered the queen of intermittent fasting. She is a New York Times bestseller. She leads these Facebook groups for fasting support of almost a half a million people. She recently launched a book called Fast, Feast, Repeat, and it has been on the New York Times bestselling list for weeks. We are so proud and honored to have her here today. On episode one, Jen Stevens really focused on what is intermittent fasting and what is a clean fast and the benefits around that. In a follow-up episode, episode number four, I answered some questions that I often get around intermittent fasting. Questions like, but how do you handle fasting in front of your children? But how do you handle fasting when you're at a work event? Today's episode is a little different. We took questions from the fasting community and people who are new to fasting and experts and said, what are the top questions you have about intermittent fasting? So this episode is not about me answering questions from my personal experience. This is really a ask the expert day. And I truly believe whether you are a seasoned intermittent faster or just beginning this episode can be helpful for you and your journey. I am grateful for Jen and her wisdom today. I know you will leave today's episode with even more knowledge for your intermittent fasting journey, whether you are just beginning or you are a long ways down your path. Now, let us get to Jen. Hi, Jen. Good morning. It's early here in the Pacific Northwest, but it's not as early where you are. It's so good to have you here. Well, good morning. Yeah, it's great to be here. And it's 10 o'clock here. So it's earlier than I usually podcast, but it's definitely early where you are. I know. So (laughs) with five kids, 10 and under, and then two dogs, I love this time to interview. At the same time, I always feel like I need to get like a cup of coffee in and wake myself up and maybe do like walk around a while because <laughs> I'm worried that I'm going to sound like I'm still half asleep. You know, well, I've got it's... my coffee too. So, <laughs> Oh, well, for those of you that remember, Jen was my guest on episode number one. And truly, it was such a gift to me because I was brand new at podcasting. And Jen was willing to be my first guest. And 
even though this episode won't come out in June, this is a really big month for Jen. And she is such a role model to me in the fasting world. And Jen, we want to hear all the updates on your new book, Fast Feast Repeat. So tell me all the scoop of June because it launched this month. It did. It launched officially June 16th. And we were very excited about it. Since I wrote Delayed on Deny in 2016, we know a lot more about the science of intermittent fasting. I mean, new studies are coming out, you know, all the time. So the science is unfolding. And also, I know a lot more because I manage large Facebook groups with over 400,000 combined members. We're approaching half a million, really. (laughs) That's astonishing. But because of that, I know all the questions that people ask day to day. So I was like, you know, Delay, Don't Deny, my first book, is a great introduction to intermittent fasting. But we know more now. And also, I know what people need to know more now. I know what questions people have. So I'm going to put together a new book. And I was fortunate enough to find a publisher who wanted to go on this trip with me. Delay, Don't Deny is independently published. I self-published it. But Fast Feast Repeat is published through St. Martin's, which is a division of Macmillan, which is thrilling. One thing that's so exciting is that after it had been out a week, I got a phone call from my literary agent, and she said, Jen, hold on to your hat. Fast Feast Repeat is a New York Times bestseller. So it debuted at number four on the list, the category that I'm in, the how-to category, which is thrilling because this is a funny story. Even the literary agents and the publishers and the editors, they don't exactly know how the New York Times picks the books. It's not just based on raw sales. There's a lot more that goes into it. It's kind of a secret. But So they knew my book was selling well, but they didn't know if it would make the list. But to make the list at number four is thrilling. And my agent said... So for the rest of your life, and even after you're dead, (laughs) (laughs) like thanks, you are a New York Times bestseller. And so, you know, just that feeling. And I was at the beach with friends. I was actually already holding a glass of champagne when they called because we were opening our window. We were having champagne. And I was like, I'm actually already drinking champagne. And so it was a very exciting moment. And then my editor called, and they're all excited at Macmillan. And so the main thing I'm thrilled about, yes, it's a lot of fun to be a New York Times bestseller. But what I'm most excited about is that the feedback that I've gotten on the new book, even from people who have been doing intermittent fasting for years, you know, I have one group for advanced fasters, the advanced group, and they've been doing, you know, a lot of people have been doing it for a long time. And so I've heard people say, well, I thought I knew everything there was to know about fasting, and I only bought the new book to support you, Jen. I only bought it because I wanted to support what you're doing. But then I started reading it, and I'm like, wow, I'm learning lots of new things. So even if you're an experienced intermittent faster and you think you know everything, I go into a lot more of the new science. And I also have three sections. Fast talks about the fast. Feast talks about food. And it's more than just how to choose what works for your body, but it's the latest science on, you know, why shouldn't we count calories? It's fascinating when you start digging into that. And, you know, what are ultra-processed foods and how do those affect our satiety signals? And so it's really everything you want to know. And then in the repeat section, it's all about turning this into a lifestyle. I'm really the most proud of the chapter in the repeat section about mindset. And I had a blog post that I wrote years ago about mindset, but I really started from that tiny little kernel and expanded it and included all the latest research on belief and mindset. And I mean, this is, you know, good science from reputable science journals about how our mindset affects our results. So 
I'm really, really proud of that chapter as well. So I think that all of this together with the fasting and the feasting and the repeating, you know, if anyone's been struggling with the fasting or even if they just love the lifestyle and want to dig into it deeper, I think this is the book that I hope will be around for years and convince people that intermittent fasting is a lifestyle for health, not just I want to lose some weight. Right. I really think that that has such been a part of your core message. Right. Always has yes. not been, hey, I binged for a weekend or, hey, I overdid it. And so I'm just going to fast for a few days and then I'm back to normal. You've always emphasized that this is a lifestyle. And I think that your approach to it has been so great because you also embrace all eating lifestyles. You also say, hey, I go on vacation. And when I go on vacation, I widen my window a little bit. I don't freak out. I don't beat myself up. And I just think that's such a healthy mindset to have. So let's dive in. So the reason I wanted to have this episode, and I mentioned this a little bit in the intro, was that Jen and I had this first interview. It was so much fun. I probably could talk to Jen all the time. And we just have so much fun. But I really wanted to do an episode kind of after her book came out. And what we did was we went to some of the groups, the Facebook groups that I manage and some of the ones that Jen manages. And I just asked people, what are your top fasting questions? And Jen is really familiar with all of these. So I picked a few for Jen to kind of tackle today. And I think a lot of these questions will give you a good feel of not only the knowledge Jin has, but her really easy approach to intermittent fasting. And, and we can also play a little game while we're doing it. Let's because do it. Here's the little game. I have in the new book a section called Frequently Asked Questions. Yes. And it's all the frequently asked questions that we get. And so I want to see if all of the ones you ask me are in Fast, Feast, Repeat in oh, the Frequently Asked see, Questions I section. I think that would be so fun. So let's dive right in. Okay. Jin. Is fasting safe? I get a lot of people that say, well, I've heard that that's just starving yourself. Why is fasting safe and why is it not starving ourselves? That is a great question. And yes, that is in the new book. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. We would not do this as a long-term lifestyle if it were not safe. So that's just right there, you know important to keep in mind. No one could do this lifestyle if it wasn't safe. But I like to call intermittent fasting the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. It's not only safe, it is going to fix things in your body you didn't even know were wrong with you. And you're not even maybe even knowing it's happening because it's really such a great intervention for lowering insulin, which is, you know, the word hyperinsulinemia is one that people may not have heard. But I know people have heard of insulin resistance. They've heard of that. And they've heard of metabolic syndrome, things like that. Hyperinsulinemia, which is having chronically high levels of insulin in the body, are linked to so many of the diseases and disorders that we're all facing these days from type 2 diabetes. Obviously, we know a connection between insulin and diabetes. But did you know that there's a connection between hyperinsulinemia and a lot of these autoimmune diseases that people are experiencing? And so many things. I really go into great detail about this in Fast, Feast, Repeat. You know, Even Alzheimer's, for example, is often called type 3 diabetes because it has to do with insulin receptors in your brain. And having chronically high levels of insulin all the time sets off a chain reaction in all sorts of different systems of our body. You may end up with type 2 diabetes. You may end up with Alzheimer's. You may end up with an autoimmune disease and so forth. So 
what's the best way to get our insulin down? Well, why does our body release insulin? Well, it's in response to food signals. That might be because you were snacking frequently during the day, but it also might be because you're drinking, you know, sugar-free sweetened beverages constantly. You know, like was one time in Costco and I look around at the beverage section. I'm walking over to get my unflavored San Pellegrino sparkling water, just plain sparkling water. And I look around and there at Costco in the beverage section, I really think there's the obesity epidemic on a shelf. All these zero calorie drinks that we all think are, you know, great because they're zero calories, but yet they're causing flavors. We're constantly having our bodies release little bits of insulin, the insulin response from your zero calorie flavored whatever. I mean, everything is I was at Starbucks the other day and I was getting ready to get in the car and go on a trip and I wanted an unflavored sparkling water and all they had was lemon. I'm like, I just want unflavored sparkling water. They're like, sorry, all we have is lemon. I'm like, come on now. (laughs) Right. And I think that that's why so many people get frustrated because Mm -hmm. they're like, well, all I've really had is my flavored LaCroix. All I've really had is my Diet Coke. I don't understand. people say that. They're like, this is pretty much how I eat anyway. I don't eat all day. And then I just eat at dinner and I'm not losing weight. I eat like this normally. How would fasting be different? I'm like, well, what are you drinking? They're like, well, I'm putting sugar-free creamer in my coffee, and I'm putting in stevia, and I'm putting in this, and then I have a Diet Coke, and then I have a flavored water. And so you're constantly encouraging insulin release from your body who doesn't understand these, you know, quote, empty flavors. Empty calories wasn't the right word because they don't even have calories, but your body doesn't understand what's happening. And so you're constantly releasing insulin, but nothing is really coming in that the body can use. And our bodies get very confused. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that phrase, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And, you know, I always think that our diet mindset is trying to get us to find little shortcuts. So it's like, oh, well, it's diet or, oh, well, it's stevia or, oh, it's and and I think that that's really the key here that we all need to tune into is that even if it's diet, even if it's stevia, even if it's just a flavor, your body is going to release insulin thinking that you are starting to eat. And yeah, our bodies don't understand. Our bodies are trained to deal with food. And so in the history of the world, going back before all these chemical concoctions, if you tasted something sweet, your body knew you were eating fruit or having honey or whatever. It was food coming. And so our bodies have this cephalic phase insulin response that we re-release insulin to deal with what's coming, but yet the calories never come. Right. Well, I think that's great. Let's move on to our next question. So let's talk about the scale. All right. Okay, Jen, I see a very common question is, Jen, I have been fasting for 10 days and my scale hasn't moved. Or some will even say, Jen, I have been fasting for two weeks and I've gained two pounds. What is your best advice for those people? Yep, this is also in the book. (laughs) So far, we're two for two. I have a very important period of time in the new book called the 28-day fast start. And the 28-day fast start is the time for you to do one thing only, adjust to fasting, because your body has to learn how to do a new thing. So when you start fasting, your body doesn't know how to tap into your fat stores for fuel because you've been fueling it all day long or insulin high all day long. So you're having to bring that down. And so your body has to learn how to tap into the fat stores. So for the first 28 days, 
you're likely to not be tapping into fat stores. You may see your weight go up for two reasons. One, we call it compensatory overeating. And that's because you're not tapping into your fat stores efficiently yet because your body's learning how to do this. So you really are not well-fueled at first. You know, the goal is to fuel yourself from your fat stores once you're adapted. But at the beginning, you're not adapted. So when you open your eating window, you're starving because your body has not been getting good fuel. And so you may overeat in response to that at the beginning. That can cause weight gain. Also, sometimes people see a weight gain when they shorten their eating window, even if they've been doing intermittent fasting for a while. Maybe they've been doing 16-8 and now they changed to let's just say 21-3. I'm just throwing something out. Now they're in a three-hour window instead of an eight-hour window. They may immediately see the scale go up. And then they're like, wait a minute, does this mean my body doesn't like a three-hour window and I'm suddenly gaining weight now? Well, no, you don't gain fat that quickly. The minute you change to a new protocol, you don't immediately start either putting on or losing fat. But your body responds by doing a lot with water retention and also you know, food in your digestive system. So imagine if you've been doing 16-8 you know, you have an eight-hour window, you've been spreading your food out. Imagine that food trickling through your digestive system over the time. Well, now you've concentrated your eating into three hours, and that's like more food in a shorter period of time instead of spread out over eight hours. Your body may respond to retaining extra water during that time to deal with what's an increased bulk of food in a short window, if that makes sense. So you may see a weight increase from that. It's just your body's getting used to this new digestive pattern. So you've got to give every change you make time. And that's why I want you to have the 28-day fast start where I really, I want you to weigh on day zero, then I want you to weigh again on day 29. And even on day 29, you may not see a weight loss. From day zero, you might be higher on day 29 than you were on day zero. But the point is that now you're on day 29. Now you're ready to start tracking your progress. I have a chapter called Scale Schmale that talks about all the ways I want you to track your progress starting on day 29. And if something is changing, maybe your weight isn't changing like you think it should, but maybe your waist measurement's going down. Or maybe your waist measurement is not going down, but your weight is going down. Or maybe you look different in photos and your goal pants are fitting differently. As long as something is changing, you know that positive things are happening in your body. The key is that you have to have multiple measures. Because intermittent fasting is not like things you've done before. It's really, really very different. Your body might be targeting fat stored in your fatty liver. Right, right. During the fast at the beginning, if you've got a fatty liver, your body's going to get that fat out first. So that's why you might not see a change in your clothing size. You know, your liver is not making your pants tight, right. but it certainly is making you unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I think that's so key right there because I have seen it over and over again where the scale won't move, but my pants are looser. Or people, you look at their face, they'll do a face-to-face, and their face is much more defined or they're less inflamed. So I think that when I would get frustrated at times, I love that you always refer back to your honesty pants. And I think that's so important because... You know, our scale can go all over the place with water retention. And yes. and I'm a female. I don't know if males deal with this as much, but I notice it big time. And actually, a gal that I really like, she was talking about even the next day after you work out, right. that, you know, your muscles are repairing, water's going there. And oh, yeah, that makes people so upset. I know. They're like, 
I just worked out and my weight went up three pounds. What happened? And then other people will say, you built muscle. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I mean, you probably built muscle. Yes. But you did not build three pounds of muscle. No, not in a 24-hour period. <laughs> no. But you also didn't gain three pounds of fat. I mean, our bodies don't gain or lose fat that quickly. So even if you get on the scale after a week and you're down nine pounds, you did not lose nine pounds of fat. That's such a good reminder because yeah. our mindset, we want such quick results. Like even I catch myself still to this day where I'll go, like let's say earlier this year, I'm pregnant right now, so a little bit different, but I would go work out and I just assume the next day, like my scale would be lighter, you know, just one day and I know. we do it. And I think that that same mentality can apply to fasting where 100%. Well, we fasted for three days, so we should see these huge results. And we're not trying to discourage someone who's lost nine pounds in a week, but realize that a lot of that could be water a retention. Lot. Yeah. Really, if you're doing an intermittent fasting protocol, it's very unlikely that you're losing more than about a pound of fat per week. Now, if you're really, you know, if someone is starting at 300 pounds, they're going to be able to probably lose more fat. But someone who's at that weight may have a lot more issue with inflammation and water swings than someone else, just because, you know, your lymph system holding on to lots of fluid. So, you know, you may see even wider swings if you're someone who is of that weight, because we see that also. But the scale is not the best measure of what's happening in your body. And we always need to remember that. Now, eventually, the scale should move, you know, if, if you're you know, over 250 or whatever, and you're not just going to be like a size two and still over 250, you're eventually the scale will go down. But you shouldn't just live and die by that, by the scale measurement. You need to have other tools in your toolbox for measuring your progress and do not let the scale upset you. Yes. You know, I've noticed some people love the scale and they do the weekly average and that really works for them and they're able to see their movement down. And then some people just have to say, scale, be gone. I just take breaks from it. You know, I right. would just say, you know, right now, I like my perspective with the scale. I like my relationship with you. So I'm going to keep tracking my weight. But there's been times where I'm like, no, I'm kind of stalled. I know I'm seeing other benefits. So scale be gone for a while. I just right. don't want to look at you and you're putting an unhealthy mindset in my mind. So I did weigh daily the whole time I was losing weight. And I also weighed for the first year of maintenance. It was only after I was in maintenance that I stopped weighing because the fluctuation started to get inside my head. You know, as someone who's been on the diet roller coaster for a long time, like probably so many of your listeners you always have that fear in the back of your head that you're going to regain all the weight. Yes. Because you always did before. Yes. <laughs> you know, so mm. every time I would get on the scale and it would be up, I would panic. Is it happening? Am I now gaining the weight back? And so for my mental sanity, it made sense not. To, I mean, I would like find myself thinking I better not eat, you know, this fajita meal because my weight will be up tomorrow. And I'm like, wait, that's crazy. I don't want to live my life based on what my scale is going to do in the morning. So I threw the scale away and haven't looked back. I haven't weighed since 2017. Hey, friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? 
By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. I think that to end this question that Jen answered so well, and I think so many of you are going to have a light bulb moment here, is that anything that really lasts, it takes time. Right. And instant results are not going to be with intermittent fasting, but a lot of those instant results you're used to seeing in the past you gain them right back. It's not real fat loss. It's not lasting for you. And so that has really rung true for me is that when I lost the weight, it wasn't coming back like it Mm -hmm. had with my low calorie Weight Watchers or different things. So, okay, that kind of leads us right into body composition. And one of the questions I get, I see happens a lot is that people get really confused because they're like, well, Jen, You keep saying that it's a weekly average on the scale and not to be too bothered if I'm not losing weight right away. But Jen, a pound of fat is a pound of muscle. So why doesn't that matter? Shouldn't that matter? So let's talk about how fasting helps body composition and what we see. It's in the new book so far. It's in there. I have a great discussion about body recomposition there. You know, one of the things that always makes me laugh, and I talk about this in the book as well, someone will say muscle weighs more than fat. And then someone else will be like, no, it doesn't. A pound of fat and a pound of muscle weigh the same amount. I mean, like, okay, thank you, um, Einstein. (laughs) Yes, it's true. A pound of fat and a pound of muscle do weigh the same. But when anyone says muscle weighs more than fat, it's understood that they mean by volume. Okay. (laughs) By volume, muscle weighs more than fat. If you have a piece of muscle the size of a golf ball and a piece of fat the size of a golf ball, the muscle is going to weigh more. So by volume, muscle weighs more than fat. We've all seen those picture of a pound of fat looking all giant and fluffy and yellow, and then the pound of lean muscle beside it that's so much smaller and sleeker. So as you're losing weight with intermittent fasting, you're tapping into your fat stores, you're losing fat. At the same time, you're also building muscle. Now, another thing people sometimes say, your fat is turned into muscle. No. Fat does not turn into muscle. They are two completely different physiological processes. Fat does not turn into muscle. But you lose fat and you build muscle. I go into great detail in the book about why we're more likely to build muscle with intermittent fasting. It has to do with increased human growth hormone, how we recycle protein during the clean fast, lots of reasons. But you can be assured that even living your daily life, you're going to be more easily building muscle thanks to intermittent fasting than before. You know, that's one of the things that excites me as, you know, I'm about to turn 51. And we know that retaining your lean muscle mass as you age is very important. So, you know, I'm counting on intermittent fasting to help me with that as I age because, you know, we want to retain our lean muscle mass and also lose the fat. So that's body recomposition. And that's what intermittent fasting does for you. What that means is, for example, in my own personal story, the last time I weighed myself, like I said, was 2017. And I had not weighed for about 14 months prior to that. And over that period of time, I dropped two jean sizes. I thought I had lost a lot of pounds because two jean sizes, I'd gone from a size four 
jeans. Now, I like to buy my jeans at the loft. Do they have vanity sizing? Yes, but the clothes fit me really well at the loft. So I had a size four jeans. And then over those, I guess, 14 months, I had gone down to a size zero at the loft. And, you know, my jeans did, you know, I could lay the zeros on top of the fours. They're smaller. They're fitting me now. So I was like, I've lost at least 10 more pounds. This is going to be really fun. I'm going to get on the scale. And I was expecting to see something in the low 120s because of my size. Like, I just knew that's what I weighed. So I got on the scale, and my weight was 130. And you're like, what? Yeah. And I was I was mad. And, and it was only two pounds less than the last time I had weighed myself, you know, 14 months before. I had lost two pounds on the scale, and yet I was down two jean sizes. And then I was mad because I thought it might even say, like, 123 or one whatever. And I'm like, this is meaningless now. The scale is meaningless. This 130 means nothing. So that was the day I actually threw my scale in the trash, and I haven't weighed since. But that's an example of body recomposition. Over that period of 14 months or whatever it was, when I lost two jean sizes, I lost more fat. Exactly. And got smaller, but my weight did not go down. And I see this over and over again, and it's so important. And then I also noticed when I was intermittent fasting, like my toning on my arms, I saw more definition there, even though I weighed the same. I consistently say, have your honesty pants or measure because those are more true signals than that dang scale. So, um, okay, that moves us on to another one. Okay. Jen, why do some people, when they are first fasting, see a slight bump in their cholesterol? And they kind of freak also out. in the book. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's in there. There's a study, the transient nature of hypercholesterol, and whatever, something like that. Notice the word transient in the title. When we're losing fat, our body is releasing fat from fat stores. Where does it go? Well, it's going to be in your bloodstream. And it's going to get picked up on a cholesterol test. And so you may see temporarily higher cholesterol as you're losing fat. This is a well-known phenomenon, but apparently a lot of doctors may not realize that because all they see is, you know, high cholesterol, oops, you know. But if you're losing fat and you have temporarily higher cholesterol, it's important. I would look for that study. I've got it linked in the back of Fast Feast Repeat. You can go straight to the study and show it to your doctor. That's the thing. You know, you don't have to just say to your doctor, well, I think it's this. Say, here's a study. Yeah, take it and check it out. Yeah, check it out. Read this, doctor. And then your doctor is not going to argue with PubMed. Right, right. Probably. (laughs) If your doctor argues with PubMed, hmm. Yeah, well, that's a great, but I love that because I think some people think, oh, well, everything's going great. I'm really liking this, but oh, no, and kind of freak out. So. People, check out Fast Feast Repeat and read the transient cholesterol study and PubMed. Yep, but, but use the index to find what you're looking for because it's there. Yeah, it's there. Um, so, Jen, sometimes I see a lot of questions on what to eat in their window and yep. also kind of a confusion around your saying, delay, don't deny. Sometimes mm-hmm. people take that as I can eat anything in my window. Some people take that as, hey, I can have all the dessert, all the alcohol, Mm -hmm. all the things. And you and I actually eat kind of differently. Like Jen eats more plant-based and I actually love all plant foods. I just focus pretty much a little bit more higher protein because carbs Mm -hmm. don't get along with me as well as they do with you. But what do you tell people when they say, Jen, 
What do I eat in my window? And delay, don't deny. Does that mean I can just go to McDonald's every day and have a Big Mac? And <laughs> yeah, those are the people that never read Delay, Don't Deny beyond the title, right? <laughs> because <laughs> in the book, Delay, Don't Deny, named that. At no point do I say overeating food of whatever you want, go nuts, eat it all. It doesn't say that. I talk about it very specifically. You know, the idea is to delay food to your eating window, and then you don't have to deny yourself of the foods that you want to eat. The good news is, in Fast Feast Repeat, I totally unpack the phrase delay, don't deny. I have a whole chapter about what that phrase means. And there's even like a chart that shows you what does it mean. Like, for example, delay, don't deny. Let's say you're at work and someone's eating pizza. Delay the pizza. If your eating window comes and you want to eat pizza, have some pizza in your eating window. But that is not code for eat a whole pizza. You know, you don't have to deny pizza, but you still have to eat until you're satisfied and then stop. And I also unpack the phrase eat whatever you want in the new book. And it's all on the emphasis Intermittent fasting is about when you eat. That's what it is. It is when you eat. The whole what you eat is very complicated, and it depends on your body. You and I feel better eating different macro ratios, and I'm not going to tell you you should eat like me. That would be wrong for you. You know that would be wrong for you because you know how you feel. And if I ate like you, it would not be right for me because I know how I feel. So it's ridiculous for us to think there's like a one best way to eat. So I have a chapter called Bio-Individuality that explains some of the differences about how some of it's genetics. You know, they're still learning about that. A tiny bit of it is genetics versus really a lot of it is our gut microbiomes and our metabolic health overall. But food affects us differently. We have got solid Solid research that shows that we all have a different glycemic response to the same foods, for example. You know, for so many years, we've been taught about the glycemic index like as if it was, you know, set in stone and we all had the same glycemic response, but we don't. Science is showing us very clearly that we don't. And so just to say, here's the glycemic response of a potato. Well, maybe not to my body. Maybe my response is different. So it's really, really complicated. But also in there, I talk about, like I said, the phrase, eat whatever you want. And it's all on the emphasis. Eat whatever you want is very different than eat whatever you want. Right, you know? right. One of them is like when you go to college and you're a freshman in college and you're suddenly turned loose with the meal plan and your mom is not watching you and you eat whatever you want and then you gain the freshman 15. <laughs> okay, that is not what I want you to do. But I do want you to eat whatever you want. You know, I'm not going to judge you if you go to McDonald's because I've been to McDonald's. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I love a Big Mac and fries. Even now, I would enjoy eating that. But it doesn't satisfy my body. And I would be hungry later. And I feel better when I eat real foods. So if I want to eat a Big Mac and fries at McDonald's, I can. I can eat whatever I want. But the longer I've lived an intermittent fasting lifestyle, the more I value how good I feel when I choose highly nutritious foods. But I didn't do that because I read it in a book or someone told me I had to. I've evolved over time to just really being in tune with what makes me feel great. It's like intermittent fasting healed me to the point that now I listen to my body and I understand what makes me feel great. Mm -hmm. 
Have you seen this with any of your members or different people that you've helped along the way that it can change too? Like I've noticed some people in early in their journey when they're very insulin resistant or they're having some issues, some of them have to go low carb because of that. Like their body is so, but then like a few years later when they've healed, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they can kind of introduce carbs again. Right. And all of a sudden their inflammation and their response. Now they may not be able to be 80% carbs. They still may have some sensitivities there, but I've seen that quite a few times where in the first few years of their journey or first year or first few months, they have to be really conscious of that. And then all of a sudden- their body changes. So it's not just... Yeah. Well, because they've brought down their insulin. Yes. They've brought it down. And so if you can bring your insulin down and it can change, you're no longer... You have that hyperinsulinemia that I talked about earlier. And so now you respond to foods differently than you did before. Your body can change. Your body can heal. And people are like, well, if I have to, I'm using quotation marks here, if I have to eat fewer carbs, isn't that just a diet? Well, the thing is, is that you need to eat in a way that serves your body. And if your body is unwell and has high levels of insulin, you need to correct that. Fasting is beautiful for that, but you may need to make other choices as well. Like I have a son who's allergic to shellfish. He can't eat shrimp. It doesn't work for his body. He'll never be able to reintroduce shrimp because he's allergic to shrimp. But my point is that he doesn't say, gosh, I'm on this diet. I can't eat shrimp. No, he eats in a way that his body requires. So we all have to do that. You have to just adjust your mindset to know that your goal is to serve your body well and eat in a way that works for you. You know, like if you're lactose intolerant, you're not going to be able to eat a lot of cheese, you know, and and don't be mad about it. Just say, okay, the body I have doesn't do well with a lot of cheese. I wish I could eat cheese. I can't eat cheese. I have learned through intermittent fasting, I don't respond well to a lot of sugar. And I know now I never did. I've suffered from restless legs. Anyone who's listened to me on my podcast probably has heard me say this before, but I have suffered with restless legs my whole adult life. I remember sitting at concerts, you know, or sitting in the movie theater and like unable to sit still and didn't know why I had this restless leg issue. Well, now I have 100% connected it to when I have too much sugar. It does that to me. And so I could be mad that my body doesn't respond well to sugar or I can say, wow, I've solved this issue that's plagued me from way before I started intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting has helped me pinpoint it. And so now if I'm going to eat something with sugar, it has to be worth it. I have to understand that maybe I will have restless legs and I have to be okay with that. Or I just say, I'm just going to eat a little bit. Does that mean I'm on a diet and I'm having to restrict? No, it means I'm listening to my body and I'm serving my body well. I'd rather feel good than, you know, eat a giant piece of cheesecake, even though cheesecake is delicious. Correct. But you know how it feels. You know, you know how your body responds. Yeah. So that brings us into another topic is alcohol. And in your journey, how did you handle alcohol? And how do you handle it now? And what do you offer as advice to others incorporating wine or their favorite alcoholic beverage as they're fasting? You know, I talked in Delay Don't Deny about my love for Prosecco. And when I wrote the book, I was having, you know, pretty much one glass of Prosecco a day with dinner. But the thing is, at that time, I had already reached my goal weight. Okay, So that's important to know. And I also talked about, a lot of people miss this part. I talked about how during my weight loss journey, as I was losing, you know, the 80 pounds that I lost, 
there was a period of time where I delayed alcohol and also ultra processed foods. And I did not have daily wine because I know for my body, if I'm drinking alcohol, my body does not lose fat very well. Now I understand why. And I talk about this in Fast Feast Repeat. But, you know, when you consume a mixed meal, it has, you know, fats, carbs, proteins. And also, if you have alcohol with that, your body does not just handle it all at the same time. Your body prioritizes things. So alcohol gets first priority because it is seen as a toxin to your body. Now, that sounds like really a scary word, but, you know, a lot of things our bodies perceive as, ooh, got to do something about this, but it's not bad for you in small doses. I'm not explaining it very well. It's like it makes you stronger. You know, there's some correlation between light alcohol consumption and health outcomes long term, like, you know, the red wine and, you know, health benefits. Although there are some people who say, no, that there are no health benefits. You should have zero alcohol. You know, you've got to decide what's best for you. But there is some correlation between, you know, people who drink a little bit here and there and good health outcomes. But you still may not be able to burn fat if that is your goal. If you're having alcohol, like I just said, your body's going to prioritize the alcohol first. And then, you know, when it starts getting to the other parts of your meal, you know, it's going to burn off the alcohol, then maybe it'll start working on the carbs. By the time you've used all that energy, there may be some fat left over your body can't use. What's it going to do with that fat? Well, it's going to stash it away. So people are like, oh, the alcohol turns straight to sugar. No, it doesn't. Alcohol does not turn to sugar in your body. Oh, alcohol turns straight to fat. No, it doesn't. Alcohol does not turn straight to fat in your body. But your body has to store whatever's left over, and there's the fat getting stored. Right. And I think that's where... A lot of people do notice that if they have incorporated alcohol into their eating window, they stall. So they, right. they'll say, maybe it's been a real festive summer or it's been a real, yeah. you know, or they, or, you know, <laughs> quarantine. I think we're in this time where a lot of people are stuck at home. And I think of the figure I saw is that alcohol sales are up like 40%. It's, uh, it's it. crazy. So <laughs> I think that, and then we say, oh, well, and then. I don't think that many people just have one, right? Right. I think that's true, too, because you lower that inhibition. And if you're having now, you're having two. Now you're having three. You know, that's a lot of energy. You know, I don't like to use the word calories. It's such a flawed measure. And I have a whole chapter in Fast Feast Repeat about why. It's really fascinating. If you think, you know, if you don't understand calories, I would read that. If you think calorie counting is useful, it explains how, for example, the same exact amount of, quote, calories of raw steak will not be processed the same way the same exact number of calories of cooked ground beef would be processed, for example. Your body is going to process them differently. I'm not saying eat raw steak, but it's just... (laughs) Right. It's just different. (laughs) If you did, you would not get as many calories from them, even though they have the same number of theoretical calories. It's the way our body uses them. But the thing is, even though I don't want people to focus on calories, if you overeat or overconsume, you will not lose weight. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's carbs, whether it's protein, whether it's fat, overconsumption does not go hand in hand with weight loss. So I don't want you to count calories, but the phrase calories do still count. I would prefer to say the amount of food that you eat does still count. Exactly. Because if I say calories still count, that means I want you to count your calories. I don't. People find with intermittent fasting, they can, quote, eat more calories and still, you know, than maybe they did before. But the quality 
of what you're eating makes a lot of difference. You know, 100 calories of raw spinach is not going to be treated the same in your body as a 100-calorie snack pack of Teddy Grahams. Exactly. And I think that's why there's so many reasons calorie counting is flawed. But I think that is a very targeted one. And then, you know, I think back to alcohol, I think it also affects how we eat the next day. It's not just eating. Or even that same time. Yes. You know, when I have two glasses of wine, I'm having one more snack before I close my window. And now I've eaten more food. And so not only does my body have to deal with the energy from the alcohol, but now my body has to deal with the snack that I had because of the alcohol. Exactly. And so, yes, you're consuming more calories. So even though calorie counting is flawed, you cannot eat more food than your body needs and still lose weight. Exactly. That's really important. I love that. So we'll just end that question there because that is so important to remember, you guys. We can't just <laughs> keep consuming and think, well, you right. you said no calorie I counting. Fasted. I fasted. Yeah. It was so good. No. <laughs> so, Jen, something I see with a little bit more of the not completely advanced fasters, but they've been fasting for a while. And let's say they say, well, I'm going to start fasting all day on Monday. Okay. I'm not going to eat on Mondays. Let's say they're normally a 19.5 or an 18.6. Right. Okay. They're a 19.5 window or an 18.6. They skipped food on Monday. They did a mealless right. Monday. I see a lot of confusion on the next day. Like, what do I do? But I'm a 19.5 and I'm an 18.6. When do I open it? I just fasted for 24 hours or 33 hours. Or, What is your best advice for that person who is at a stage ready to do kind of a mealless Monday. And I often would do mealless Mondays. I really liked it. I was very busy in my job on Mondays. So it made fasting on a Monday really easy. And I also think my glycogen stores were a little bit higher from the weekend. Oh, yeah. So I think I had lots of fuel to run off of and burn off. So what do you recommend in your book, Fast Feast Repeat? All right, chapter seven is called Alternate Day Fasting Protocols, the Up and Down Day Approach. And even if you're only doing, you know, mealless Monday, you're only having one day, that would be considered a down day. Maybe you're going to have a 36 to 42 hour fast because you don't eat all the whole time you're awake on Monday. Then you wake up on Tuesday and it is what we call an up day. Here people call it a refeed day. I go into great detail with this in Fast Feast Repeat, and it all has to do with the metabolic response to restriction. If we just restrict, 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 even if you're fasting, your body will get the message, ooh, not enough coming in, better slow metabolic rate. Our bodies are designed to do that to keep us alive, you know, in times of famine or difficulty. Your body doesn't understand you're doing that on purpose and that, you know, there's plenty of fat. Your body's just like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. So, All the research on alternate daily fasting shows that it's very protective of metabolic rate. But the people who were following this protocol, they had the one day of the fasting. Then the next day was an up day, and it was totally unrestricted. They just ate. So they were like fast, then eat, then fast, then eat. So what we don't want to do is fast, then have a short eating window, then fast, then have a short eating window, because that's not what the research on alternate daily fasting was done with. We don't actually have any research on what happens if you alternate 
full fasts with a short eating window. We don't have that research to show what happens long term. I have a hunch that what would happen is your metabolism would slow because I've seen a lot of people over the years in these Facebook groups who are, you know, the more enthusiastic they are and the more restrictive the more it backfires in the long run. They may have spectacular and quick weight loss, but then as they keep going with this, you know, full fast and then really short refeed and repeating, they start to feel the urge to binge, which is your body signaling you that you are in trouble. So based on the research on alternate daily fasting, what we know about the metabolism, what we know about what happens when we over-restrict, it's just the way your body is designed, you need to have a refeed after a longer fast so your body gets the signal that you are not in any sort of famine. So during the mealless Monday or whatever day that is for you, you are tapping into your fat stores. But the next day, you're sending the message to your body, food is plentiful. In the research on alternate daily fasting, they found that participants generally ate about 110% of their, quote, required calories on the up days. And so I know a lot of people who are stuck in diet thinking may think, well, I'm trying to lose weight, so I should eat less on that day. It's going to make me gain if I eat more. But remember the research on alternate daily fasting, they were eating more than their body's needs on the up days. Now, that doesn't mean I want you to overeat until you feel bad or just like eat, 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 eat. Overeating is never the goal. Stop when satisfied. But I want you to eat at least two meals on the up days, maybe three. Your goal is to let your body know food is plentiful. And some people fall into this trap where they'll wait to open their window until maybe two o'clock on the up day thinking they're going to fit in two meals. And then they find they're not hungry for the second meal. And they're like, well, what do I do? You've told me not to force myself. I'm listening to my body. Well, if you find that you are not able to get in two meals on an up day, then you need to open your window earlier. Yes. Have breakfast. Yes. Eat at nine in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have time to be hungry again. Because what you really don't want to do is have your body think that you're in some sort of restrictive problem, famine kind of situation because your body will slow your metabolism if it perceives that that's going on. So make sure to figure out how to get into an update. Open your window earlier. The update is really, you don't even have to think of it as a window. Right. I think that's the key right there is that it doesn't, that day does not need to be a window day. You know, you don't. Oh, you're not counting yeah, hours. Yep. You're not trying to, Yeah. I always would struggle with that because I always felt like I was ruining the hard work. Right, that's the thing. And that's diet mm -hmm. mentality. And I've ruined this day. I fasted. Now I'm ruining it. But really, it's a metabolic boost day. That's the design of it. And again, you know, if we're used to weighing daily, it can freak you out. Because after, you know, let's say you fasted for 36 hours and you get on the scale, you're going to be down maybe two pounds, you know, or something. And so you're like, I lost two pounds. No, you didn't. Right, right. <laughs> you might have lost a half a pound of fat you know, perhaps. And then after you eat on the up day, your weight may go even up more. You might be higher than you were before the fast. You're like, oh my gosh, I've ruined everything. No, you didn't. So if someone is doing alternate daily fasting, when I tried it and did it, it helped me emotionally to never weigh after an up day. I think that's important because your food volume, I mean, think of just the food volume yeah. in your stomach and the water that your body needs to digest that food. Right. It's just going to probably make you feel pretty defeated if you're weighing right it after. <laughs> and then it'll make you have diet thoughts of I should eat less on my next update. And then really now you're restricting. We don't want you to diet on the updates. That's the key. Your up day is not supposed to be a diet day. The up day is to let your body know food is plentiful. 
and your metabolism does not need to slow. Yes. Okay, Jen. So I have another one. What about hormones and fasting? I find that some women especially heard a video on YouTube and probably a video made by like a 20-something guy. Yes, he, they did. Yes. Most of these scare you videos are made by 20-something dudes. I, it's so true. And I <laughs> Thank you, 20-something oh, dude. And so I really like to tackle this, not just for the yeah. women who maybe are still hoping to have children in the future, but also for kind of the menopausal or perimenopausal woman. So can you address that as you do in Fast Feast Repeat and what advice you like to give people? And just to let everyone know, I am pregnant with my sixth and I was fasting during this time. I'm 39 years old, didn't know if I would have more children or not. So for me personally, it has not messed up my fertility or my hormones. I didn't have to have fertility medication to have this baby. So Jen, can you talk about the advice and what you share with people on this topic? Yes. And I just checked the index. It helped me know exactly where to turn. Page 277. (laughs) Fast feast repeat. I have a whole question on that. And the question is, is it safe for women to do IF? I read a blog post slash heard from a friend slash watched a video that said women shouldn't do IF or that women need to do IF in a special way. And will IF affect my menstrual cycle? So I go into all the details here. You know, one thing is true. Women are different in the way that, yes, we do have cycles and obviously our bodies are different and our bodies want to be healthy to you know in case we're going to have a baby so if we over restrict if women over restrict that will absolutely affect us hormonally but i want everyone to listen to what i'm saying there over restriction is not what intermittent fasting should be i mean we just had a whole conversation about how i don't want you to over restrict on up days so i mean women over restrict in many ways because we've been taught to. We've been taught to diet harder, work out harder, eat like a bird. That is very bad for our bodies. What is not bad for our bodies is fasting with a proper refeed. And even in your daily eating window, you need to fuel your body well in your daily eating window and eat nutritious foods. So fasting coupled with extreme restriction and extreme exercise is bad for all bodies. Women are likely to see it more because of our cycle, but it's also not good for men to do that either. You don't want to over-restrict, but that's part of any diet you're using. Any approach should not be over-restrictive. That's not good for you. For women, though, as long as we are, you go with how you feel. If you feel good and you're fasting and you're eating nutritious foods, that will not affect you in a negative way. It should not. Actually, women who have certain issues such as polycystic ovarian syndrome, I think I just said it wrong. I think it's polycystic ovary syndrome. I never can remember. I think it's ovary, not ovarian, but whatever it's called. If you have PCOS, that's related to high levels of insulin. And people who have PCOS find that actually intermittent fasting can lead to a increase in fertility. I actually interviewed an OBGYN on intermittent fasting stories who uses intermittent fasting with her patients and has increased fertility. It was Cecily Ganhart. So if you want to search for intermittent fasting stories, Cecily Ganhart, you could find it. It talks about how she uses intermittent fasting in her medical practice and that women become pregnant 
after using it. So I would listen to Cecily Ganhart, who's using it with patients and not the 20-something dude who has a YouTube that says that women need to fast in a special way. And it also makes me super mad because he, this one guy also has one about how women over 40 or something need to fast in a special way. And I want to punch him in the face because <laughs> I'm like, I am over 40. Excuse I'm me. I'm almost 50. Do you think I'm like your grandma? <laughs> Sorry, little, little dude. But <laughs> I, you know, I love that. No, I think this is so important, but I can't tell you how prevalent this fear is. Oh, yeah. I've heard it over it and is. over. Over and but over. Good news, you need to listen to that podcast episode with Dr. Garnhart. Also, just I can't tell you the number of people within your Facebook group who are like, hey guys, you won't see me for a while. I'm pregnant. I'm Yay. pregnant. Yeah, we hear that all the time. And even people are like, I've been told I couldn't have a baby. And then they're, they're pregnant. So, you know, intermittent fasting helps us balance our hormones in so many ways. I'm going through menopause right now and I'm sailing through. And I really think it's because of the fasting. So, Jen, there are still so many questions we could dive into. Oh, yeah. We could talk I for, mean, well, we could talk for 11 hours because that's how long my book is. There you is. go. We could go <laughs> If you listen to the audio book, it's 11 hours and 20 minutes. So, <laughs> I well, we are just so proud of you. New York Times you. bestseller. The Jen is given her time today and I just couldn't be more honored. And I know many of you may have more questions and go check out Fast Feast Repeat because yep. these questions and more are in there and even more detail. So correct. Jin on a with links to the science. Correct. So you can find it yourself. And I and I know many of you know from this podcast that, you know, I often do a more conversational approach. I'm not always diving into the science. So if you're more of a science nerd, you love diving into the details, Jen's book is a great balance of that. She's very conversational, but she makes the science very approachable. And you can dive in as much or as little as you'd like to. So Jen, in closing, is there any question that you think you'd like to really answer before we go, before you think, oh, we just, we missed this big one. Really? No, because what I want people to do is I want you to get a copy of Fast Feast Repeat, not just because I want to sell you a book, but (laughs) (laughs) because, because I want you to have this resource at your hands. You know, honestly, I make more money every time someone buys Delay, Don't Deny because it's self-published, but I still want you to buy Fast Feast Repeat instead because it's got all the questions answered. That's how much I want you to have this resource. And, you know, I want you to use the index to help you find the answer. I want you to use the Frequently Asked Questions section. I want you to have the paperback copy. You can listen on Audible if you love it, but the paperback copy is there because I want it to be your reference anytime you have a question about fasting, you don't have to come ask me, you know, because that's not reproducible, <laughs> you know, me asking Jen every time. Ask Jen by looking in the book because I put it together as a labor of love because I want you to be able to answer your questions and have all the information at your fingertips. You know, you have a friend that says, hey, hey I saw this blog post, say, well, let's check the index and then you can find the science and it's there. It's at your fingertips or you're at your doctor's office and your doctor says, you know, something about cholesterol, you're like, well, let's check here and you can flip right to the science and you can show your doctor the study. And so that is what I want this book to be for y'all. I want it to be your resource that you use. I want it to be thumbed through. I want it to be underlined. I want it to be your resource for all things intermittent fasting so that you are empowered to design the protocol that works for you. And you are your own study of one. 
And so you are, are going to figure out what works best for you, but this book will help you do it. Well, Jen, thank you for being here today. This has been a wonderful, educational, and just fun interview. So I hope you have a wonderful day, and thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.